0: Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues.
1: Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Margaret Thomas. She is Connecticut State Geologist and Dr. Robert Winch. He is a visiting researcher in earth and environmental sciences at Wesleyan University in Middletown, also an emeritus professor at Indiana University. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Right off the bat, Margaret Thomas, Connecticut state geologist, tell us what a state geologist does. I'm guessing a little of everything.
2: Well, you're right. It is a little of everything. Most states in the United States have uh, a state geologist, which is the point person Uh, for geoscience information in the state. And in Connecticut, um, as state geologist, I coordinate the state geological survey program for the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. And uh, I support geoscience information needs of not only our agency, but the governor's office, um, our state and federal partners, and the citizens of Connecticut. So I work cooperatively with other New England state geologists and the federal government, uh, academia, and nonprofits. And um, I engage students and other geoscientists to join the program through academic internships, uh, temporary employment, and volunteer opportunities.
1: And you, along with Dr. Winch and others, have undertaken remapping Connecticut's bedrock. Dr. Winch, tell us a little about your work.
3: My research in Connecticut started almost 50 years ago. I'm interested in the rocks and what stories we can glean from their history. The rocks have had a very tortuous history in the crust. That is to say, starting at the surface, they went down very deep with tectonic interactions of the different plates that came in and out of Connecticut and now they're back at the surface and so my research interests have been focused on trying to figure out what that history has been a particular rock sample has gone down and come back maybe more than once the uh, impact of that on the geologic map is to is to refine the interpretations of those rocks. Uh, We have learned the the map that exists now, the Bedrock Map of Connecticut, was published in 1985, but it was compiled from geological data, most of it prior to 1980, much of it in the 60s, and some of the mapping was done in the 1940s. And so geological understanding has evolved since then, and so it's time to to reevaluate uh, how we interpret the rocks in the uh, in the last fifty or sixty years.
1: I suspect so the, rock- the technology has also advanced a lot since they it was last mapped.
3: Well, there's no question about it. We from analytical studies, especially what's called geochronology. We have dated minerals in these rocks that help us understand their origins and their evolution in the crust. So with lots more information, plus a much more refined understanding, uh, we can revise the bedrock map. Not to say the rocks have changed, only we have gotten smarter.
1: How geologically diverse is Connecticut?
3: Well, we have what I think a lot of people would call crystalline rocks, and most of Connecticut is uh, underlain by crystalline rocks. That means these are the the rocks that ping when you hit them with a hammer. We have sedimentary rocks that sort of follow the corridor along I-91. So from New Haven through Meriden and Hartford all the way to Springfield. And those rocks are red sandstone, the ones that have the dinosaur footprints in. And so that uh, on the one hand, and there are igneous rocks in that domain that uh, create hanging hills of Meriden. If If you drive, West on I-84, you go up a pretty good-sized hill, I think, that in Southington. And that pretty good-sized hill puts you on top of crystalline rocks, which are both metamorphic and igneous. Um, and, of course, metamorphic means changed by their, their, their um, tortuous history in the crust, and igneous means they crystallized from a liquid magma. Uh, the same happens on the west if you drive, on uh, I mean the east. If you drive east from Hartford on I-84, you go up a low, a low, uh, gradual hill in Vernon, and that hill brings you to crystalline rocks away from the sandstones.
1: Now, Margaret, so, in this remapping process, what is the role of the state geologist
2: we're in the process of working on a long range mapping plan to revise the bedrock map across the whole state and and some of the uh, map sheets have been completed already Um, the role of the state geologist is to um, coordinate the effort and to facilitate the effort through um, federal grants federal grant applications and uh through partnering with um, uh, academic uh, uh, collaborators and to get students involved so that um, we have not only efforts through the National Cooperative Geologic Mapping Program, but we also have other independent mapping efforts going on in the state.
1: Now, explain how efforts such as this relate to things like earthquakes, which we do have from time to time in Connecticut.
3: We have had earthquakes in the past. Of course, the most famous in Connecticut are the Moodus noises, and I guess machamudus is uh, an a, a Indian name for place of noises. I'm trying to remember the actual tribe that that it was. Maybe it was Mohican. Anyway, um, so those are those. The Indians knew about those. The Pilgrims knew about those. The, the last big one, I guess, was 1791. Um, those earthquakes occur underground. So there's, and, and so on the surface, we don't see much record of that. We don't have terrain slipping past one another like the San Andreas Fault. These, these earthquakes are definitely rocks sliding past each other, actually breaking suddenly past each other but this happens underground in a sub-horizontal way. So it has relatively small impact. There were three holes drilled in the 1980s to try to penetrate the earthquake zone and then run tests on those rocks. Um, The tests showed mostly um, uh, north-south compression an east-west extension, but all of that happens underground at least um more than one kilometer deep. Um so this mapping the surface is is less likely to help us understand the earthquakes than uh more drilling would would because the 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 rock layers in the mudus area are also about horizontal so uh, we can't Examine the surface rocks and understand too much about the earthquake zone. Uh, compounded is the problem of the glacial till that covers everything. And in the Mudus area, it gives you big, long, Drumlin-shaped hills, um, glacial hills that cover the bedrock, so we can't even see it.
2: I just like to add that um, the Mudus uh, borehole drilling project was was an important uh, scientific. Uh, research project, and it was actually funded by uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission because of the proximity to our nuclear reactors. And so, um, you know, we we have those rocks uh, in our collection, and those are referred to from time to time by other researchers. So they're they're part of our scientific collection that we maintain here in the state.
1: Now, recently there was a report from the U.S. Geological Survey urging people who rely on well water to get their water sources tested for arsenic and uranium. Can you explain why that is and why this is an important step to take?
2: The new USGS report that just came out, uh, it's really an important summary of the distribution of the impacted water wells statewide um, and uh, you know without that we had been getting individual reports of high uranium and arsenic uh, well water but we didn't really have a statewide view of of how many and where um, those wells were so uh, this this report and the map that goes along with it, is really a, um, it's a powerful and important public health message that any household that's served by a private well should really test their water. Um, All all the wells that were part of this report were all bedrock wells, meaning um, they were wells that were tapping bedrock aquifers. And we know that water flows into these wells through a network of interconnected bedrock fractures. And uh, we don't really understand which minerals are contributing the uranium and arsenic to the water, or if the minerals are distributed in the rock or concentrated along the fractures. Um, And we also don't know what the orientation of the fractures are that bring these contaminants to the well. So um, we're, you know, we're thinking that detailed mapping with an emphasis on fracture identifications combined with um, hydrogeologic studies can help answer some of these questions. Because the map that we have now uh, is a good illustration of where the high levels are, uh, but it doesn't tell us why. So, you know, we feel it's a foundation for geologic investigations.
1: She is Margaret Thomas, Connecticut State Geologist, joined by Dr. Robert Winch, visiting researcher in earth and environmental sciences at Wesleyan University in Middletown, also an emeritus professor at Indiana University. Speaking of that that map, are there areas of Connecticut where this is more likely to be an issue than, than others?
3: Uh, especially uranium, um, there are uranium-bearing minerals uh, in, a, in the hills running from Glastonbury through Portland, uh, Middle Haddam and down to Haddam. Uh, this region is famous for granite pegmatites and uh, the, um, these rocks, are slightly, in general, a little more radioactive than adjacent rocks, and um, they do show a little higher concentration, especially of uranium. The uh, arsenic, uh, arsenic, tends to occur in rusty rocks. So people in from from Covent, in Coventry Union. Uh, up into Brimfield, Massachusetts. that's the region that's most famous for rusty rocks and locally famous for the uh, the, the dastardly mineral pyrotite which was found in these rocks, crushed up and uh, but it's so reactive with water uh, that when it reacts, it produces sulfuric acid and that's the problem with your concrete foundations. Mm-hmm. So there are regions that we know, where we know what the mineralogy is, we can say, aha, That these minerals will help explain why these regions have either high uranium or high arsenic, but we don't have a, a strong enough inventory of the uranium and, and arsenic-bearing minerals throughout the state, which is another um motivation for remapping the state to make those kinds of observations.
1: That's a perfect segue to the, the next topic, which is the, the crumbling foundation crisis, mainly affecting eastern Connecticut. How much have we learned about this situation since we first saw foundations failing?
2: I think we've learned quite a bit about concrete, uh, specifically and uh, about some of the aggregate that goes into concrete, um, we certainly haven't learned enough. Um, we, we know that uh, sulfide minerals occur in rocks of eastern Connecticut and elsewhere in the state. And that um, aggregate that's too high in, in sulfides, is, uh, it, it, it's deleter- deleterious to the concrete mix. So, um, you know, the, the sulfide minerals in concrete, uh, when they oxidize and weather, they expand and uh, start cracking the concrete. So it's very bad for the durability of the concrete. And uh, when the concrete cracks, it allows for increased infiltration of water, which further accelerates the degradation process. So um, you know we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to find out more about uh, the aggregate that's used in Connecticut concrete and avoid some of these problems in the future with um, by knowing more about their mineralogy and chemistry.
1: At some point, might there be a, a test that's that's readily available and and fairly cheap to conduct on this aggregate to to ensure that it's not going to result in a foundation crumbling down the road?
2: The Connecticut legislature put together a working group on uh, quarry standards at at the end of uh, 2019 and put out a report in early 2020. And right now, um, there's legislation being considered uh, as to how to handle quarry standards for aggregate how much sulfur would be allowed, and what kinds of geologic source reports would be required. Um, But the bottom line is, and and as more of a direct answer to your question, um, we need to know how much sulfur is uh, is in this aggregate. That's really the first screening mechanism uh, for whether or not uh, aggregate would be suitable for use in concrete. And looking at um, standards in New York State and in Canada and elsewhere, uh, you know, around the world, through through the countries of Europe, um, they've uh, determined that a total sulfur concrete, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, a total sulfur content of uh, greater than one percent would be too much to be permitted to be used in concrete. So that's the kind of thing we're looking at now.
1: How common is this problem? I, I know there are issues that have been found in Massachusetts now. I know in, in parts of Canada, this is an issue. Are we just unlucky about the, you know, what's in the ground?
2: I've worked with the state geologist from Massachusetts on this issue because our, you know, our rock types don't stop at the at the state line. Um, we we share a lot of the same geology, and uh, it's not a matter of being unlucky. It's it's more of a matter of what rock is being quarried for use in concrete aggregate. And so, if we know more about um, the mineralogy of the rock, we'll know more about whether or not it's suitable for this use. It doesn't mean it can't be used used for for other purposes, but uh, certainly. Uh, if it has high sulfide mineralogy, it should be avoided for use in concrete. In fact, um, this year, our, our state survey, we're, uh, we're looking at um, the mineralogy and chemistry of some of the rocks in eastern Connecticut to try to determine um, how to separate out areas uh, that have high sulfide versus other areas. and. Um, you know, as as arsenic is, is also associated with sulfides and iron sulfide minerals, we're looking at that as well.
1: Now, on a lighter topic, as state geologists, do people come to you with various rocks thinking they're one thing and they turn out to be something else?
2: Uh, all the time, actually. Uh, and certainly since the pandemic started, there's there's definitely been an increase in the frequency of um, inquiries that we receive in the state survey office. Um, I I think people are getting outside and looking around more and and they have questions. So, you know, typical questions would be on identifying rocks and minerals that people find. Some are about fossils. most often, when people think they have a fossil, it's not, but you know, they have to find out, and we're happy to help. Um, there's also been an increase in requests for geologic maps and field guides. I, I think probably because people are out hiking and and they like to have a look around and know what they're looking at. So definitely.
1: Dr. Winch, do you have a favorite anecdote about misidentifying?
3: A rock? uh, Misidentifying, or someone
1: coming to you saying, "Is this a meteorite?" and it turns out to be a piece of coal or something like that.
3: Well, it's uh, uh, yes. I I, because I'm a little more, uh, a little less conspicuous to the general public. I don't get as many questions. But when I knock on a door and ask permission why I look at your rocks, uh, sometimes they say, "Oh, good. You'll tell me what this one is, please." And uh, I guess my favorite anecdote, anecdote about that might be I knocked on a door uh, of a woman uh, who had a nice ledge in her backyard. And uh, I heard about this ledge from a colleague who brought students there. So I thought, well, I'll bring my students here this year. And I knocked on the door and I said, I'm a geologist. And she looked out and she said, oh, you're here early this year. I said, oh, well, I've never been here before. And she said, well, these are very important rocks because people come every year to see them. And then she said, I think these are the original rocks. They were here before the pilgrims. And, uh, of course, as a geologist, well, they've been there millions of years. And so, yes, they were here before the pilgrims.
1: How often do you knock on someone's door and say, can I look at your rocks?
3: Well, <laughs> in virtually every place I have to uh, do geologic mapping or or, or research, um, most of it's on private land. And sometimes it's very private and posted no trespassing and, and the, to get to the house to ask permission, you have to unlock the gate in the driveway. And so it becomes a pretty arduous task sometimes when the land is very private. Um, state parks and forests are, of course, available always, but but then sampling becomes an issue because we're not supposed to, to, to remove anything from from especially state parks. So then highway cuts Highway rock cuts are very interesting. They're fresh rock, they're well exposed. And then of course, you need very special permission from the state police to even look at them because pedestrians are not allowed. So there are a number of hazards to, or impediments to trying to understand the bedrock, but uh, um, uh, we get around it however best we can.
1: He is Dr. Robert Winch, visiting researcher in earth and environmental sciences at Wesleyan University in Middletown, emeritus professor at Indiana University, joined by Margaret Thomas, Connecticut state geologist. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
3: Well, I've enjoyed the conversation. You're welcome.
1: Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron
0: Kupek. Enjoy the
1: balance of your weekend.
0: Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.